0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's be it's very good to be with you all and worshiping with you this morning. What a few weeks we've had, huh? <laughs> Coming off of Ecclesia last week, we had such a rich time fellowshiping around God's Word. We looked at the topic of suffering, uh, a topic that we weren't we didn't realize at the time when we planned the conference would be very timely and very needed for our hearts. And surely if there's anything that God has taught us these past few weeks, it's that things don't always go as we plan. That things that we take for granted can be uh, removed from us, that the stability that we generally enjoy can give way to uncertainty about what tomorrow brings. He has taught us that we are not in control. We don't know what tomorrow might bring, but for us as believers, the contrast to that is that we are secure, that we can trust in God, even when we don't know what tomorrow will bring, that we, we are safe, we can stand firm. Not because of anything that is in ourselves, but because of who God is, because of what he has done, because of the promises that he has given us in his word. So believers, uh, of all people, can look at their present circumstances, they can look at the past, and they can see a God who is faithful. They can see a God who is working all things for their good. They can see a God who has given them a sure hope that is secure in Christ. And the psalm I want to look at today is going to point us to that settled confidence that believers can have in God, in what he has and is and will do for his people amidst the challenges and amidst the adversity that will come at us in this life. We're going to be looking at Psalm 46 this morning. This was the psalm that uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote, or uh, wrote his hymn, "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God," uh, based off of this psalm. And uh, since this is Reformation Month, what a more fitting way to uh, to look at that than to look at this psalm together. So, if you see from your outline, I've titled this message: "Trusting God in Troubling Times." And if you've read the psalm, you'll know that the word trust actually is not in the text. But what is in the text that we can trust in is is God. God's character is displayed and commended. We have his might and his power upheld. So the logical response then for the believer would be one of trust, would would be one of of praise of God, of, of who he is and what he does. So I want to read the psalm as we get started, and then we'll go into a few opening details and then jump into our text together. But let me read Psalm 46 for us. It says this, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. As you can see, this psalm is not only a psalm of comfort, to God's people, but it is a warning to the world, to those who would oppose him of his power and his rule over all of the earth. And as we begin to look at this psalm, we should, we should start out with a few things. First, we should start by saying there's no known historical event or, or situation that this psalm is specifically uh, referencing. There are scholars that will debate about this, and they will say that there are uh, hints or shadows in the text of this being linked to a specific time or event in Israel's history. But, but honestly, we can't be definitive uh, about that from the text that we have. We do know that there were certainly times in Israel's history and uh, their past when, when she was facing natural calamities. There were times when foreign nations were coming against her. And, and it's possible this psalm was just a conglomeration of those types of events written down as a song, we're told, for Israel to sing, for something that that they should remember. Again, that though the, the nations might rage, though nature might roar against them, as long as God is their refuge, they will be safe and they will be secure. Then in our passage, you've probably noticed that there are three selahs. After verses 3, verse 7, and verse 11, I'm, I'm going to use those as kind of natural dividers for this psalm. So we're, we have three overarching points to our message, and we'll fill in the details in between. And then lastly, before we really dive in here, we, we can't ignore the heading of this psalm. It's usually left out of the verse numbering, but there is a heading here. The psalm starts with some instruction We're told this was a song that Israel sung. The directions tell us who wrote it and how it was to be sung. And while we don't know exactly what this term means, according to Alamoth, we know that it does mean something. We know that it meant something to the original audience. So if nothing else, when we see those terms included, it has the implication that we are to take care. We are to play with skill sing carefully when we sing in the congregation. So let's go back to my message title here. Why can we trust God in troubling times? Well, my three points to this message were going to be three answers to that question. So why can we trust God in troubling times? Here's the first answer, our first point, found in verses 1 through 3. God is near to his people in the midst of natural disaster. God's nearness in the midst of natural disaster. Psalmist tells us that God is close to his people when they are in need, when they are faced with adversity or challenges. He is close by. This is what verse 1 is telling us. Verse 1 is a declaration about God. It's about his character God, or the word Elohim here, is is to us a refuge and a strength. Elohim is one of the Hebrew words in the Bible for God. It's found throughout this psalm. It's translated as God, as we'll see. And and though we don't want to get into a word study on the names of God, you need to know that Elohim is denoting God's power, his, his creative power, his his sovereignty as the creator. Right, Elohim is the same word that is found in Genesis 1.1 when it says God created the heavens and the earth. So this God, this creator God, is a refuge. He is a place of refuge for us. Note that word, our the little word but but you could you could translate that god is to us a refuge and strength it's not just a place where we can run to and find shelter he is strength he has the ability to keep us safe and secure he has proven might and proven power he is a very present help in troubles When there are times of need, when there are times of distress, God is very present. You could actually translate that word present as easily found. The idea here is that God is not far off, that that he is near, he he is close by. So close that he is who you can run to as a refuge and as a strength. Now, when do you find yourself in need of a strong, stable place of refuge? Not when times are good. When times are bad, when there are, is trouble, when there is a storm coming, when you have enemies chasing you down, you don't have anywhere else to go. The psalmist says, in that time, God is not going to be far off. He's going to be found, easily found. Verse 1 is giving us facts about God. He's a refuge. He's strong. He's easily found by his people. This is who God is. This is. These are characteristics of God, regardless of whether we believe them or not, regardless of whether you turn to God in trust, in that time of need, when you need a refuge, these qualities are true of God. Lastly, as we look at verse 1, we just need to say one more thing before we move on. And then it's this, that the last half of the verse reads, a very present help in trouble. Not the way I want it to read, which would be a very present help to keep me from any and all trouble. God doesn't take away the trying times from us. This church... That's that's a point for an amen (laughs) with what the church has been through the past few weeks. We know that. We've lived that. And if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you know this truth. God never says he's going to remove us from the trial. He says he's going to help us through the trial. He's going to be the place that we can run to. But We have to trust in him. We have to put our hope in him. He's not going to give you a magical escape hatch to get out of the trial, but he's going to help you to endure through that trying time. And so if verse 1 is highlighting these truths about God, then verses 2 and 3 are showing what our response should be in light of his character when we are faced with uh, natural disaster. And we see that in verse 2. What should our response be in light of these truths about God? Therefore, we will not fear. We can have confidence. Or you could say we can trust. Trust is definitely implied by the commending of God's power and character here. We can have confidence in him a trust in him that looks past the present circumstances to the stability to the safety to the sure foundation that his goodness and his kindness are to his people and we'll see verses two and three they're going to introduce these uh, two larger themes that the psalmist will speak about throughout the rest of this psalm uh, the first here he's going to talk about his nature The other that he's going to talk about is the nations or pagan peoples that are opposed to God and, by extension, opposed to God's people. And the psalmist does this to emphasize two things that in their day you would have no control over. Look at verse 2. How much control would you have over a natural disaster like an earthquake that is described here, mountains crumbling, or verse 3, waters that are raging up, a tsunami or a flood. We all know the answer to that question. We, we don't have that control. Again, going back to verse 2 in an earthquake, when, when the earth's plates are shifting, landscapes can change very quickly. Uh, great destruction can take place. In those moments, you can realize how little control you actually have over what's about to happen. I can remember experiencing a a tremor when I was living back in Illinois, working. I was in my little office area, and was plugging away at the day, and then all of a sudden, uh, everything and everyone in my building just went like this, and then it stopped. And we didn't even really know what happened. It was was just kind of one of those odd things, and then all of a sudden, we realized, oh, there's a, a a shift, a fault shift that had happened in the southern part of the state, and that had traveled all the way up, and we felt just that little wiggle. And the thing that uh, caused a lot of people concern was that they had no control. It was just happening. It it, it happened, it it went by, and then it was gone. People felt very small in the sense that they, they had nothing in their own strength that they could do to stop that. That's the idea that the psalmist is getting at here. He's saying that here's the most stable thing at the time, the, the earth, and if it is shifting under you, if mountains are falling down, right, the earth and mountains being symbolic of strength and stability and immovability. Now these things are moving into the heart of the sea. The writer is then speaking about devastation, destruction on a monumental scale. And don't pass over that phrase, heart of the sea. The idea there is that the mountain doesn't just fall off and roll into the ocean, that it's sinking down to the very depths. This is utter destruction. He could stop there, but he goes on in verse 3. He talks about roaring waters. Coming off of the hurricane, I don't need to describe to you the destructive effects of water that the psalmist is speaking about here, but we can just say this. We've seen the pictures. We've driven down the roads. We've, we've seen areas that were completely impassable because of flooding. We've had homes that have been ravaged by these waters. Water on the scale that is mentioned here in this verse is unforgiving. It doesn't matter what is in its way. In fact, it even says the mountains, that symbol of stability, is shaking at the swelling of this water. But again, what is the believer called to do in light of an epic natural disaster of this portion? Look back to verse 2. We will not fear. Why? Look back to verse 1. God is our refuge. We will look to God. We will believe his word. We will trust in his promises that he never forsakes us, that all things are going to work together for our good we will We will boast in him, though things that are seem unmovable are now laid waste, though a world might be in chaos, the, the believer can rest securely in God, so if you 're in Christ today, you can trust in god 's promises, the promise of his presence is more stable, it's more secure than even the earth that is beneath our feet. Because God says he is near, he is easily found in trouble, that he is our refuge. Psalm 20 verse 7 tells us this, Some boast in chariots or horsemen, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Boasting in our own strength or in our own might comes to nothing really quickly when things outside of our control come, when the earth gives way or when the waters rage. The psalmist here is trying to point us to the object of our faith. Where are we setting our faith? When we turn to God, when we boast in Him and we trust in Him, we are protected. When we put our trust in in anything else, we are not. The psalmist is telling us the ground beneath you can crumble. The waters can rise above you. The things you place your hope in in this world can be taken from you. But when you trust in God, you are placing your hope where it is secure. No one can take that from you. Romans 8.31 tells us this, if God is for us, who is against us? You could say, if God is near us, then we are secure. We can trust in God, even in the midst of natural disaster. He doesn't stop there, though. He gives us another reason, another answer to the question, why we can trust God in troubling times. And the second answer is what he shows us in verses 4 through 7. And that's this. God's presence provides protection from the nations. God's presence provides protection from the nations. The writer now switches topics. He switches from this, the, the earth that is crumbling away and the seas that are roaring. He now, swi- he now switches to God's supply, God's stability that his presence provides to his people. So note the contrast here. In verse 3, we have waters that are roaring, they are raging, they are shifting the earth. And now in verse 4, we have this contrast. Now we shift to, yes, there's water, but this water is not a source of concern. This water is a source of comfort for God's people. These verses are a declaration about God's city. In the same way, verse 1 is a declaration about who God is. This is God's city. This is his dwelling place. And not just his dwelling place, but the dwelling place of those who would find refuge in him. So again, though the earth might fall, though the waters might roar outside of God's city where he dwells, there is safety and there is security. The water here doesn't bring destruction. His city is made glad by this water that flows into its borders. There's streams that, ro- that flow into this city. You think of a stream. A stream does not overpower a stream doesn't roar like the sea can. A stream brings supply. It brings provision. A stream is, is gentle. So the contrast here is what, is what is wreaking havoc in the world is now something that God brings into his city, and it is bringing joy, bringing delight. This city of God is referencing Zion or, or Jerusalem, reference to just God's holy city, Again, noting that the city may come under attack, the earth might give way, the nations might rage against him, but God is near. God is bringing safety, security, supply. All who dwell there are provided for. This is the habitation of the Most High. He is among his people. The writer goes on then in verse 5 to identify God's presence yet again in this city and the security that that presence brings. It says God is in the midst of the city, noting his proximity to his people. What does that nearness mean? She shall not be moved. The city will not be moved. This word moved is the same word that was used in verse 2 to talk about the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea. Now it's just negated. They're not going to be moved. The earth might give way, the waters are going to roar, but God's dwelling place is stable. Not just that, God will help her when the morning dawns. So not only do they have God's presence and provision, they have this flowing stream. He is there among them. But they have God's protection now at exactly the right time. That's the picture that's being painted with this phrase here, that there is, there is relief, there is protection that always comes at exactly the right moment, even in the threat of danger. So even if this city of God had the nations raging against her, as we'll see in verse 6 that she does, This city has water. This city has God's presence. It can withstand an attack from the enemy. It can withstand trouble. It can be a refuge for his people. Moving on to verse 6, the nation's response now to God's protection. The unbelieving nations respond to his provision, to his protection for his city. So again, look at verses 4 and 5. There's, there's strength here. There's tranquility here. There's a, a sense of ease. The nations are, are in upheaval. They, they rage against God. and By association, they rage against anyone who is aligned with God. We have to remember that Israel, the, the people of God, lived in a time with a threat of invasion from enemies. We tend not to think along those lines of, we will get invaded in our country today. We don't necessarily see Canada or Mexico as a threat of invasion, but the Psalmist day, there was, there was this threat. There, there were nations that were hostile to them. So there was this response in faith and in trust of God that was closer to the forefront of their minds so as the nations rage, kingdoms would, would fall. Think about the, the panic, the, the hysteria that would come upon a nation as it would collapse in on itself. So again, the writer is drawing our attention to the fact that as the seas would rage, as the nations would rage, God's city won't be moved. Though the mountains fall into the sea, God's holy habitation remains secure now it's easy to get caught up into looking at our world today through an atheistic lens instead of through a biblical lens like this passage is pointing us towards we can see conflict that's happening in Europe Um, North Korea Kim Jong Un he's kind of a wild card we never know what's going to happen with him right China might be up to something we never know there If we just sit and watch the news every night, we can just let our blood pressure rise and rise. But we need to push back against that with the truth of God's word. We need to say that when, when there's fear or there's anxiety that wells up in us as we look around at the world, that's simply a consequence of us taking our eyes off of who God is. We've forgotten the God that we serve. So look at the last half of that verse. When the nations rage, what is his response? When there's upheaval in the world, it all comes to a halt when God speaks. He utters his voice and the earth melts. All the turmoil that man can stir up, the nations can get themselves worked up into a frenzy. God can lay it flat with just a word. Here, the psalmist has now shifted to show us God's power on display. Before, he's just talked about the safety, the security that God's people have. But now he's showing us he is in control. He is in charge. He is over all the nations, all governments, all peoples. He is not caught off guard by anything that happens. He doesn't look around at the nations as they rage and say... Mm, those, those guys look tough. I think of Psalm 2, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He utters a word and the earth melts. So when the nations rage, what we can forget is that our God is not like us. He doesn't pull up the evening news and get worried. He doesn't find out what's happening at six o'clock. He's not shocked by these world events. He is in control. It's not always easy to to trust. There are times of struggle. There are times that I struggle too. And I take my eyes off of God. I focus on the world. I have two young boys. They're going to grow up in this world. I can take my eyes off Christ. I get anxious. I get worried. But when I do that... I have to turn and I have to repent. I have to turn to God and I have to say, God, these these aren't my sons anyway. You are the one who can protect them. You can be their refuge. You will keep them safe. So help me to grow in my trust. Help them to see my trust in you and to emulate that trust as they look toward you. So again, look at verse 6. The nations are raging. God's not raging. You can imagine someone that's stirred up in a rage, right? What well, somebody looks like when they're, they're, they're upset or they're angry, they're yelling, right? The picture that always comes to mind is a, a great army on the battlefield, and they're just about ready to do the war cry, and they, they go off into the battle, right? That's the nations that are raging. But God... He just has to speak a word and he brings it all to a halt. That's the God we have to remember. That's the God that we serve. All-powerful, in control, protecting his people, near to his people, providing for his people, and able, able to overcome anything or anyone that is opposed to him. So we look, look at a verse like that, look at this passage, and we can say, well, this is nice and good. Yes, I understand that. I, I believe that. But what about, what about right now? What about the trial that I'm in right now? What about this struggle? Well, to that I would say two things. One, go back and listen to all the messages that we just had at the Ecclesia conference that we talked about suffering. Start on Friday night with Pastor Eric's message about lies that we believe, and work your way through And what you'll see is those messages are grounded in God's Word, and it's going to point you back to God. And secondly, I would say, turn to Scripture then. Get a greater vision of who God is, of His his work, of His character. And you'll find as you do that that you will encounter the God that is in this psalm, a God that is in control and a God that is near to His people. And that's what we find when we look at verse 7. We've had this idea expressed to us in verse 1 and verse 5, but now here's the summary statement for us in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. Yahweh of hosts is with us. This is a different word now. It's not Elohim that has been used so far. This is the all-caps Lord. This is Uh, meaning Yahweh this is distinguishing it this means the covenant keeping God this is the God who revealed his name to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 this is the personal God who showed his power and his concern and his care for his people as he brought them out of slavery as he brought them into the promised land this is the God that is with his people and if that wasn't enough, he says, his heavenly hosts, his heavenly armies are also with him. And by extension, they are, they are with us. So why is the heavenly city, why is those who, those who dwell with God secure? Because God is with us. Why can't natural disaster or national upheaval ultimately threaten the believer? Because God is is with us. Our security comes from the one who is sovereign over all of these things. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is our refuge. Again, he is a place of safety and security for those who trust in God. He provides protection. He is near to us. This same God that is written of in the psalm is the God that we serve today. And you and I have even greater promises that we can look back on. We, we have the completed canon of scripture. We have the revelation of God in Christ, something the psalmist did not have in his day. We have every reason to be growing in our trust of God. Now we know that some in the congregation have been seen fit by the Lord to have a greater opportunity to trust him after the events of the past few weeks. You all probably know there's a handful of families that have been displaced out of their homes for a season because of the hurricane as they are being rebuilt. And even, even in that, I have, I have seen faith-filled responses to, to this new season of life that God is guiding them through and building their trust in him. Uh, in fact, there was one person in the congregation that, that, that said this, and I'll just paraphrase what they said, but they said, uh, I know God is with me. I'm trusting in him. Uh, the church has come around me to help me. And, and I can tell you, honestly, I don't feel like I'm going through a trial right now. I don't feel like I'm suffering. And I looked at them and had to push my jaw back up. Because I can could, I could tell you, I would not necessarily have that response, that same faith-filled response in that moment. But that is a testimony to the work of God in their life, to the generous, loving nature that the body of Christ here has been. And it's proof that God is near us. He is with us, that he is our refuge, and he is our strength. The psalmist will now end the psalm with four verses that continue with this theme of the safety and the security of God. And now he's going to show why our God is indeed worthy of the praise that he declares the nations give him in verse 10. So our third and final point, what's the final answer for why we can trust God in troubling times? Because of God's supremacy over all the earth. God's supremacy over all the earth. We see this in verses 8 through 11. So we've had seven verses now, driving home this point that God is near to his people, that he protects them, he provides for them, that, that the forces that would seek to cause destruction cannot ultimately harm them. And now in verses 8 and following... We are commanded to to come and see the power of Yahweh. He says, come, behold the works of the Lord. Behold his works. This is what God does. This is the protection that he provides. These are his works. These words, come, behold, are not an invitation to us. They are a command. Not to us, but also to the nations. Come and see, come and behold. What are his works? What does he do? Well, he tells us. He brings desolations upon the earth. Now, when I think of God's works, I think of good things. And then it, it flips right here and it says, well, these are desolations. Well, these God's works? That sounds positive. Desolations, that sounds bad. But these are God's works and they are desolations. And he has a perfectly sufficient reason for why he does these desolations. And he tells us that reason in verse 9. His first uh, explanation of what these desolations are is that he ends war. He ends all war to the end of the earth. So the raging nations, that they are fighting, they are in strife. No matter who starts it, God is going to end it. It tells us how he ends it. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He takes away their weapons of warfare. He destroys them. In fact, your text might say that he cuts the spear in two. I think a more accurate rendering of that verse or that that phrase would be that he shatters the spear. The idea he's getting at is that these weapons that were once primed for war are now made utterly useless by god in my mind if i think if you have a spear and you just break it in two now i've got a pointy stick and then now another stick i can just smack somebody with but that's not what he's talking about here he's saying these things are not fixable you cannot use them to harm anyone anymore he not only then shatters weapons he scorches their military equipment says he burns the chariots with fire. The chariot represented a military strength, a military's might. So imagine this, your bow and your spear are now destroyed. Your chariots are all burning in a pile. You are now done. You've got nothing to fight back with. And God says, when I bring wars to an end, Everything that is once a weapon of war will be destroyed. This was true of God's protection for Israel. It's true for God's protection of the church now, particularly as we can look forward to Christ's return when we know he will subdue all his enemies under his feet. So the psalmist here is being emphatic in these words, nothing will remain for those who stand opposed to God. He not only ends war, he brings the nations that war against him very, very low. And so again, the the threat of bows and spears and chariots doesn't maybe resonate with us as much today. We don't live in the threat of of invasion or conquest. For us today, maybe it would be uh, nuclear weapons. The thought of economic or social collapse. But in the midst of all that, the same God is ruling. The same God is sovereign over this world. And we don't know the depth of the conflict that the world will plunge into before God ultimately decides to move, but we know that when he does, it will be complete, and he will bring all fighting in all the world to an end. And so for us today, we can now look forward in Scripture. We can look forward to Christ's return when he will come and judge the nations that war against him, when he will once and for all defeat Satan, all those who have rejected Christ, they will all be cast into the lake of fire. See, there are only two positions that mankind can be in. You will either stand in opposition to God or you will stand in awe of God. He will either bring about your deliverance or your destruction. The nations are commanded to behold God's works. And then in the last two verses, we're going to see the command to believe in his sovereignty. Verse 10, probably a more well-known verse of the Bible, or at least in the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. This is another command. Two commands, actually. Be still and know, just like in verse eight we have the commands come and behold and here this word be still has this idea of of purposefully pausing yourself of stopping the idea of loosening yourself your translation might say cease striving it might even say let go it doesn't mean let go and let god but it means stop and see god rightly for who he is now verse 10 when we look at that we need to ask who is the psalmist talking to here is he referencing god's people or is he still speaking to the nations that are warring against him well i believe in the passage in the context here that god is still speaking to the nations. He's just coming off of ending all battle, all war. And this is a command, this is a warning to those who just raged against him to recognize his rightful authority. He's telling the nations, you need to knock it off. In light of what you've just heard about the safety and the security that I bring to those who trust in me, I keep my people safe from natural disaster. I keep them safe through national upheaval. As you rage, as you war, you need to stop and acknowledge who I am. Be still and know that I am God are words of condemnation to those who would rage against him. This doesn't mean that this verse does not have any meaning to believers, it is directed at those who would come against God. But to believers, uh, this correction of those who rage against him can be a comfort. This is just another sign that God is in control, that, that he is God, that he is going to make all things right, that he is going to bring this world that stands opposed to him to a place where they acknowledge his authority and his power. I was telling somebody during the break, if you have a coffee cup that has this verse on it, that's okay, don't throw it away. But if you're a believer, you should probably have verse one in a coffee cup. That's the one directed toward us. There's comfort in knowing God is in control. What does God continue to tell the nations? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth his is the rightful place the place the nations are trying to elevate themselves to we can think about this there are nations a corrupt leader comes into power he he changes the laws so he's in power for life he's he's a dictator he stays in power until he dies even that person does not have the same position or power or protection that god can provide that God is due; He will never have the preeminence that is God's and God's alone. God will be exalted among the nations. Our job is to respond to Him in faith, respond to Him in trust, to rest in His ability to provide that safety and that security against whatever this world brings, because the op- the only other way to go about that is to be the one that is raging against God and he will stop that with a word so again in verse 10 we have this command to trust in God to be still and finally in verse 11 we have again this remembrance of his presence with his people we look at verse 11 and verse 7. These are uh, exact repetition, the same refrain. Right? We know that this is a, since this is a song, this is something that would would be sung again. This is something that obviously the psalmist wants to drive home to us. The point of God's nearness, his protection, that he is with us. So church, can we be honest with ourselves? Can we be honest that we don't know what the future holds but we know who holds the future we make our plans but the lord directs our steps so we can either do that with eyes of fear with eyes that are focusing on the world around us we can be tossed around by uh, the next calamity or the next uh, troubling news headline or we can have eyes of faith trusting in God's goodness, trusting in his word, that he is near to those who find refuge in him. I think the challenge for us can be that many of us would say, we can acknowledge that God is in control, but it's what we think that that means. What I mean by that is that God being in control doesn't mean that the nations won't rage or that the storms won't come. I know, in, again, in my heart, I like to read these passages in that way, that since God is a refuge and strength, that means that there will be no times of trouble in my life. But again, that's not what the text says. The trouble will come. Fears will rise up. But again, we have to faith, face those fears from a biblical perspective and the believer of all people can rejoice because god is with them we can remember god's power at work in the world we can rest in god's purposes he will be exalted he is with his people he is sovereign he is over every nation every government all people all of nature all of things Again, we don't need to know the why behind it all. We just need to know the who behind it all. And that is the Almighty God. We're not always going to understand why he allows what he allows, like a hurricane. But we can rest in his purposes, that his will is being accomplished as he grows our faith and grows our trust, even in the midst of trying times. So we can rest in God's sovereignty. We can remember, we can rejoice at his abiding presence, all to build up our trust in the Lord. Because in the end, he will be exalted. In the end, his glory will be displayed throughout all of the earth. His purposes being accomplished all to His praise and all to His glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, our hearts now are filled with Your Word, Lord. We're we're eager to trust in You. Father, we know How frail our faith can be at times that when we fix our eyes on this world, we turn from you. Lord, there are a multitude of temptations that can come upon us. We can be fearful or we can look to the, the earthly and the temporal rather than the eternal. We can forget so quickly that you are near us, Father especially in the midst of the trial, in the midst of times of suffering. So Lord, would you give us those eyes that focus on you, that focus on your goodness, on your, your mighty works, on the provision that you so richly provide for us. Do we live in a world that, that moves on and amidst the people that ignore you, that turn from you, turn from your word? Lord, would you draw us close to you? Would you, you be our refuge even in those times of trouble? Father, we thank you for your provision as you've prepared our hearts as the trials we go through presently, trusting that your sufficient grace and your mercy is there and new each day. Father, would you strengthen us as, as we know that you will be our refuge in future trials, Would you remind us of your goodness as we think back on how you have sustained us through the past. Help us to place our hope in you now and walk in humble submission and faith. Our only hope is in you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.